welcome to our podcast, Young, Muslim and Talented, where today I am talking to my very good friend, Usama Kurisa. Usama, say hello. Hey, walaikum salam. How you doing, Mal? I am good, thanks. It's a nice and sunny um, Sunday here in, in London. And we're so, we're so honored and, and happy to have you on our podcast, Usama. Um, so for the benefit of our listeners, uh, Usama and I kind of know each other for a few years now. We, we uh, met in, uh, I guess, through Patchwork, which is a um, charity that helps young people, particularly from ethnic minority backgrounds, get more involved in, in politics. And uh, I think Usama and I actually did some campaigning and we knocked on a few doors. And I don't know whether it was a 2014 general election, but I have uh, uh, very good memories of, of that. And since we've kind of just kept in touch and, and sort of followed each other um, in terms of what we've been up to. Um, so Usama, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, uh, who you are, um, where you were born and uh, kind of uh, maybe just a, a synopsis of your upbringing here in the UK? Yeah, sure. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, and just to tell you a bit about myself, well, I recently turned 30. Um, so I've... Uh, Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks. So I just recently entered a new decade. Um, so that's exciting. Um, also a bit scary. I'm starting to think about things like mortgages and investing my pension. A bit early for that. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's not what my mum's telling me. Mum's also telling me marriage is on the horizon. But, you know, uh, I try to hold her off as uh, as long as I can. Um, so I'm from southwest London, but um, I was actually born in Uganda. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar um, with East Africa, um, Uganda's a... It's a small country in East Africa, neighbours countries like Kenya, uh, Rwanda, Tanzania. Um, and that's where I was born and spent um, quite a bit of my uh, childhood. And every time I have a chance to talk about Uganda, I always just overshare. Um, just because I think Uganda is one of those countries where unless you've been there, um, you don't really appreciate it. And... It's just, it's got incredible um, natural beauty. Uh, the source of the River Nile is there, which not a lot of people know. Um, Lake Victoria flows through it. Um, so it's a really beautiful country. Um, and if you ever get the chance to go, highly recommend it. Um, but Uganda is also one of the world's poorest countries as well. Um, unemployment rates are quite high. HIV rates are quite high. Um, and so in the 90s, um, my dad had a chance to move to the UK for a better life. Um, and he obviously decided to take it. Um, and he brought my mom along with myself um, over here. Um, and I was six at the time. And when I moved to the UK, uh, we lived in southwest London. I've always lived here. Um, first in Croydon. Um, which was an interesting uh, experience. Um, but I would say a lot of my childhood was the typical sort of experience of a first-generation uh, black immigrant family um, of working-class root. Um, I wouldn't say it was that different to other families of that background um, in South West London. Um, I went to the local schools, 
Um, and then when I entered secondary school, that's when we moved from Croydon to Mitcham, um, which isn't that widely known. Uh, every time I tell people I'm from Mitcham, I also have to tell them, oh, it's close to Croydon. I'm like, ah, now I can picture it. The Queen has visited Mitcham, and uh, I think that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a claim to fame. <laughs> yeah, 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 she did. Um, and actually, she went to my old school um, on that visit to Mitcham. She went to my old secondary school. Um, and actually, speaking of secondary education, um, so part of the experience I had as a child that really sort of shaped me going forward is I went to a secondary school that wasn't very good. Um, in fact, it was one of the worst performing schools in the borough. Um, and so sadly, a lot of um, young people who went there um, ended up not doing much with their lives after they left. Um, and I think that's one of my earliest experiences that really motivated me to want to um, help others and make a difference, uh, particularly to young people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds um, and who have um, have the potential, have the knowledge, have the skills, but don't have the opportunity uh, to put that to good use and to fulfil that potential. Um, and so that was, yeah, I would say that was a key part um, of my upbringing, going to that school and getting that type of education um, that I feel um, didn't set me up and didn't set a lot of other young people I went to school with um, for a, a, a good future. Um, and unfortunately, that's not uncommon in parts of... Um, Southwest London, um, and actually other parts of London as well. I guess it's not just unique to the Southwest. Um, and in terms of my faith, um, so I come from a quite strong Muslim background. Um, a lot of my family members, um, immediate family, aunties, uncles, grandparents are all Muslim. Um, I do have some Christian members of my stepdad's side of the family, um, but uh, a lot of my immediate and um, distant family are Muslim, so I do come from a strong uh, Muslim background. Uh, so a lot of my upbringing um, was centred around the values and the teachings um, of um, Islam. I'd like to explore a little bit more about your experience at secondary school because it clearly left a sort of a, an impression on you in terms of you know what what you're passionate about and what you're trying mm. to do now when my parents first moved over here um there wasn't a strong network or some sort of like support group um for uh, people who had recently uh, immigrated um from other parts of the world and settled um, in the communities that I was in. Um, and so there wasn't that support structure to um, direct people to um, uh, well-performing schools or to uh, provide them with any other like support needs that they had. And so when my parents moved over here, their priority was just to get their son and their other kids um, into a school. Um, I don't think they necessarily knew um, the types of schools, the ins and outs of the types of schools that they were sending their kids to. And I guess to Absolutely. some extent, you know, that falls on to my parents. That's my parents' responsibility. But, I mean, could you imagine being, you know, um, a 30, 40-year-old um, 
a single mom, not knowing much about the new environment that you're placed in um, and having to, you know, build a new life for yourself, send your kids to school, make a living. Um, but that's overwhelming and without a support network, it's going to be very difficult to um, get your kids into the, the best schools um, and, and do all of that. So I don't necessarily blame um, my parents for the school I ended up in. Um, I think it was just a result of them being new to the environment and not there not being like a support structure here. And I guess you can also pull it on local authorities as well. Like these communities um, weren't being well looked after. The fact that a school like that um, managed to exist for quite a few mm -hmm. years, because um, I spent my whole from from year eight right up to year 11, um, we, we were in that school. And some of the things that happened in that school, you would not believe. Uh, there was a point when... They, drop, they used to have a programme where they would bring in ex-servicemen into schools in South London to instil discipline. So we had someone who had served in the military at our school at some point, just walking around instilling discipline. We, we constantly had fights at the school. Looking back on it now, um, I certainly feel like it's made me more, uh, it's made me resilient. Um, it's made, it's motivated me to want to change, um, to address like inequality and injustices in society. Uh, but back then, that's not what I took from that experience. Obviously, back then when I was a kid, um, all I um, felt from that experience was that we had essentially been abandoned. Um, we were put in that school just to be managed, um, just so we had somewhere to go every day uh, and pretend that we're receiving an education. <laughs> um, and then once we left... Mm -hmm. We're on our own. Um, and so, yeah, I think the overall feeling at the time that I felt was that we'd been um, abandoned. And that was actually reinforced by some of the teachers, sadly. Um, I remember um, in one particular lesson, so I was in the uh, middle set uh, for science, um, and then there was a lower set, and then there was a higher set. And I remember we used to have a, a, a good teacher in that middle set. And the school made the decision to move that teacher up to the higher set and um, so he could help those kids succeed. And we were left with supply teachers because um, they thought, uh, in order to get the, uh, the best grades for our school, let's focus on supporting the kids of a higher ability. And whatever happens to those kids at a lower set, that's up to them. And so we got supply teachers. Um, and as was common in schools like this, when we got supply teachers, we just messed about. I mean, fortunately, my results were good enough to give me options um, when I left secondary school. Um, but what really hurts me is that um, there were a lot of other kids in that school who were just as capable. Some of them were even smarter than me. And yet they still failed because the support structure wasn't there um, for them. And that's what really gets me. Um, and that's what's kept me motivated like all these years to not just try to make something of my life uh, to prove that. Um, mm -hmm. the circumstances of your upbringing or your birth don't determine where you end up um, but also just to change that situation for mm -hmm. young people who are trapped in these schools right now mm -hmm. um, yeah I mean there's something to say about our education system and the way that it's set up to almost incentivize schools to, you know, aim for the best grades, irrespective of who they have to step over. I, I did want to just explore your relationship with 
your faith over that period of time? I mean, did it help you? Was it a was it was it a, a big factor trying to be uh, spiritually connected um, um, through your school and and consequently then university life? Um, how has it shaped? The decisions that you have to make along that journey, and was it because um, your parents were telling you to do so, based on their values uh, and morals, which were intrinsically linked to their faith, or was it a case of you actually believing that this was the right thing for me to be doing? Yeah, very good question. Um, so I was certainly a lot more religious um, at that time. Um, and for many reasons, firstly, um, like you said, um, it was a big part of my family's identity. Um, so for us, um, Islam wasn't just a religion, it was also cultural. Um, and so, um, I, I spoke a bit, a bit earlier about the support network that we didn't have, uh, when we came over here, um, um, from Uganda. Um, but one network that we did have um, was other Ugandans who had come over um, from Uganda um, and settled here in the UK and were from a, also from a Muslim background. Um, and so my mum relied um, quite heavily on those other family members and friends as well. Um, and I was obviously really close to um, their kids as well. Um, and so... Being a, um, a a young black man of Ugandan and um, Muslim heritage, um, I really connected um, uh, with other people who shared um, a similar background to me, um, and so that's what sort of brought out um, more of my, um, um, my my faith at the time, um, because I just needed. Um, because as a kid, you you just have this need, and not just kids, even in adulthood as well, you just have this need to want to um, connect with others, find a community, yeah, yeah um, connect with people who understand you, who have probably had the same experience as you. Um, and for me at that time, um, it was other people from the Ugandan um, Muslim community here in the UK um, who were the same age as me, who I knew that if I explain an experience to them, chances are they had the same um, experience as I did and would understand and I'll be able to connect with them on that. Um, and so that's one way um, religion really helped me um, during that period. Um, and also, like, when you're a kid, um, you just adopt sort of the values and the teachings and beliefs of your parents. Um, so an element of it was... Um, following what my parents told me to. Um, like, my parents always reminded me to pray five times a day and how important that was and going to Jumar on a Friday and doing Ramadan um, and knowing that, um, yes, you're doing it because your parents are telling you to do it, but you're doing it because your parents are also yeah. telling you that um, that it's what Allah wants you to do um, in order to live a good life and to go to, um, to uh, Jannah. Um, and so it was a, a mix um of all those things and i think if i'm honest with you as well um because i didn't feel connected to any other sort of community at that time um uh, it made me 
cling even closer to uh, to uh, my faith and what was familiar and that Ugandan Muslim community because it was familiar. Um, and so that that was um, that was a factor as well. Um, and we haven't come on to this yet, um, but um, I feel like it's going to come out at some point. Um, one massive way um, that um, that you know um, my faith and um, my name, to be <laughs> uh, to be specific, um, has affected me growing up. Um, especially since 2001 when I was 11 and first entered secondary school um, is obviously the name Osama um, was quite infamous uh, at, at the time um, and as a secondary school student and um, you know kids just do not give you an easy time at school yeah, they, yeah they, they really don't um, <laughs> if, if they um if they can get at you for something, uh, they, they're going to do it. They're going to go all the way. Um, and so, yeah, ever since 2001, um, I never stopped hearing that Osama Bin Laden joke. How do you think that shaped your feelings towards or your relationship with your religion? I think, firstly, when I was a kid and people made those Osama Bin Laden jokes, my general attitude was to laugh it off. Um, you know, kids were just looking for, kids will look for anything to pick on you. Um, and this was just like an easy way for them to pick on me. Um, it didn't really have an impact on um, how I viewed religion at that time. Because for me back then, I just saw religion as um, part of my upbringing, uh, part of my family's identity, part of my identity. Um, and I thought people making Osama Bin Laden jokes um, really has nothing to do with the upbringing I had um, and my family. Um, and so I'm just going to laugh it off. It's like, it's just like any other joke um, to me. Um, but what did um, shape my thoughts on religion going forwards was when I, as I became much older, um, so as I was like entering adulthood, um, because for most of my childhood, I just accepted that... Um, uh, my family heritage is Muslim. Um, I've had a Muslim upbringing. Um, um, Islam is the way forward. I just accepted it because it's what my parents had instilled in me. Um, but as you get older, you start to critically um, think about life. You start to um, think about your identity and what is it that actually is important to you? What is it that actually makes you the person that you are? Um, and I asked myself... Um, a really important question, which actually I think everyone should ask themselves. Um, and it's, it was that if I wasn't born a Muslim, would I be Muslim? Um, and obviously to some, um, some people of our faith, that's not a question you should ever ask yourself. You should never doubt um, your religion. But I think it's important because you should explore why is it you believe the things you believe, not just take it as a given. Um, because that is what strengthens your faith if you can justify why you believe um, a certain thing. So I did ask myself that question, like, is it just because my family is Muslim that I identify as being Muslim? And if my family wasn't Muslim, would I just identify with whatever else my family was? That got me to think about some of the teachings that uh, they and some of the values that they had instilled in me um, and to reevaluate um, them. 
And to be honest with you, Mo, I haven't arrived at an answer. I'm still going down that journey. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I haven't come to a conclusion. Um, I still believe in being part of something bigger than myself. I absolutely still believe that. Um, I still believe that there are things that happen in this world that are beyond our control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we do have um, sort of a higher purpose beyond um, just, you know, the day-to-day going to work, just having fun with your friends. Um, we do have a higher um, calling. Um, so I still have a strong faith um, deep within me, but um, I've kind of shed this sheep mentality of, well, that's the way I've been yeah. brought up, so that's it, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I started to think, actually, you know what, let me think about this from a, a critical um, standpoint. That's so, so important. You know, I, I think a connection would whatever higher being brought about by a greater understanding of your own belief system and why it makes sense for you to value the things that make up your belief system for yourself, but not because you were told that it's important by others. So uh, it's something that I'm also still exploring. I think everyone should be exploring, but it's the moving away from what we talked about previously in, in your childhood, where it's kind of a, you're doing things because that's the way it's always been. That's the way your parents have brought you up. And that's what gives you a sense of belonging with others. You're moving more towards finding your own sense of belonging because yeah. of because of the things that are important to you. And I think that's so, so critical, you know, for for becoming the best versions of ourselves and having the 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 right type of impact that we want to have on our on the people that we live with and the communities that we live in. I just wanted to delve a little bit more deeper into your current passion and mm-hmm. what, you're, what you're currently doing. And we briefly talked to, or I mentioned the fact that you're now kind of in the sort of education charity um, sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and how you think that ties into, you know, some of the other things that we've talked about around your, your experience growing up and your, your, your experiences with your faith? Sure. Um, so a few years ago, um, when I came out of university, um, I came across a charity that was addressing inequality in education, um, and the way they were doing it really appealed to me. Um, so their mission was essentially, um, um, trying to get young people, um, 18 to 25 year olds, um, giving back to uh, to their community, getting them volunteering, and through that process, um, helping them to develop um, their own skills and giving them sort of a clearer sense of what, which direction they might want to take their lives. Um, and it was getting those young people together and then giving them the chance to spend a year um, volunteering full-time in schools, um, in the type of schools that I went to, um, where young people come from a disadvantaged community and where they just need that um, additional person, that sort of role model to help keep them on track, to inspire them, to help them enjoy school um, so that they can then go on to get the grades they need and fulfill their potential. Um, And so when I found that charity, 
um, I the first thing that came to my mind was, oh my god, if I had someone like this, um, someone from this charity come into my school, someone who was around the same age as me, well maybe just a few years older, um, come into my school and sit with me and um, tutor me and mentor me and act as like a positive role model um, for me and to tell me about life and how important maths and English was uh, once I left school. I thought to myself, that would have made all the difference in my life. And it certainly would have made a massive difference to the other children I went to school with. Um, and so I thought to myself, given that I could have really benefited um, from someone from this charity helping me out as a kid, I have an obligation um, to help other kids who are in the same situation I was in, but right now. Um, and so it was a no-brainer. I signed up with a charity straight away. Um, and I was placed in a school in Southwest London. Yeah, you know, never, <laughs> never left the Southwest. Uh, but I was in Felton, um, which is um, quite a deprived area. In fact, Felton is... Um, they have a youth prison there, don't they? Yeah, exactly. See, mm -hmm. there you mm -hmm. go, there you go. I mean, that's the only thing people know about Felton. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people uh, forget okay. there is a community there, there are families there, there are kids there. Um, but all people know is the prison. And I'm not even judging you, bro, because um, that's mm -hmm. what I thought. Well, mm -hmm. When they said I'm going to go to a school in Feltham, I literally, literally thought of just the prison. Um, mm -hmm. And even when I first went to Feltham to check out the school, um, one of the things you see on the high street is one of those knife bins. Uh, those bins that encourage gang members to throw their knives in there. I don't know how effective they are, but, you know, they were there. Um, mm -hmm. So Feltham just has that reputation um, so embedded in it. So you can only imagine the impact that has on the kids over there. Yeah. Um, and so when I was placed in that school, um, I was working mainly with secondary school students, mainly in year seven, um, which was such a critical year for me when I was younger as well. Because, um, you know, that kind of shapes your attitude um, towards the rest of secondary uh, for the years to come. Um, and whenever I was in that role, in that school, working alongside a young person, um, I used any opportunity to sort of share with them my experience. And whenever they were like, oh, it's something, you know, I don't know why we're doing this, I don't know why we're doing that. Um, I'd always, you know, remember how I would have been like when I was in their shoes and say, yeah, I get it. I mean, it, sound, it sounds irrelevant now, um, but here's all the different ways I've used that maths qualification or... Um, or I'll ask them, what do you want to do? And then I will connect what they want to do to, um, to passing a particular subject. Um, and I just thought to myself, this is, it, it's, so, it's so important that um, there's young people out there using their experiences to inspire the next generation. Um, it is so important, more so than having someone who can't connect with those young people 
trying to do it. Yes, I think you would also describe the work that you do as quite grassroots and community orientated. I want to ask you because uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know, when I talk to someone like you with, you, with the type of passions that you have, particularly around politics, why do you think the grassroots um, route is more impactful in terms of the work that you're doing versus you going into, for example, why not number ten Downing Street and? start making more kind of uh, policy-related decisions that might impact the communities that you're working with? I never want to be out of touch with the people I'm supporting um, because I think that's one of the worst things that can happen to someone who aspires to a senior leadership position. And that's especially true for politicians um, where the higher up they go on the ladder the more disconnected they become with the communities that they're impacting. Because um, uh, at that level, it then becomes more about making decisions based on what's on a spreadsheet and what the data says and actually losing that human element that these decisions are impacting lives. And that mm -hmm. is something that you can see on a grassroots level, but it's really mm -hmm. difficult to see at a senior level. Um, and so, yeah, I always want to be alongside, working alongside the people um, I'm supporting. I see a lot of value in that. Um, and I also think the people at a grassroots level are also disconnected from the political process. Um, and if we really want like a democracy that works for everyone, then it needs to start from like the bottom up. Um, and so it needs to start with um getting these communities um to recognize how the issues that are impacting them uh, the quality of education in their schools uh, the type of jobs that are available the support network that they have um available to them if they fall on hard times um the resources in their local hospital or gp service um it's about getting the people in our communities to recognize that those are directly impacted by decisions that are made at the very top. Um, and the way to make a difference and have an impact on those decisions is to be actively involved. Um, and that's something that's, and it's really hard to empower them uh, when you're standing on, when you're coming from like a really disconnected and... Um, when you're not relatable. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You yeah. need to do it from the ground up. They need to, uh, I feel like they need to know that um, this guy is in it for us. Um, th this guy has been down here with us, um, working on the issues that we care about. Um, he's come from the same background as we have. We know he's in it for us and that's why we're going to get behind him and support him. Um, and so I think it's important to build that sort of like, um, almost like grassroots credibility and just to have that experience so people know that you're in it for them and I just don't want to go down that route of um, seeking um, a, a prestigious political office only to be detached from the very people I should be there to represent and there to help and I just see that in so many of the leaders we've got right now Obviously, then another issue becomes if people like us who care about the issues, who have had these experiences and who really want to make a difference, 
to some of the most disadvantaged people in our society. If we don't throw our hats in the ring, if we don't get involved um, at those um, and uh, pursue those positions, someone's always going to go for them. And if we just leave it to people who are quite removed from these communities, who are only doing it for the prestige and for the titles, uh, then we're not. We're always going to get those same people yeah. for power, and these problems are going to persist in our communities. And so, it's a tough one. You know, it's it's it responsibility is. versus versus for me almost um, losing your sense of identity because yes. that's that's the risk that you run when you, when you move into those types of position so we're coming to the end of our our time but but what we like to do on this podcast just at the end is ask a few um sort of fun full question so so one of them is quite personal for me so i love your posts on on social media um about on this day i just wanted to find out a little bit more about what what inspired you to do that and, and and share these amazing stories about what's happening you know what's happened uh, in history on, on on a specific day and then we'll dive into a quick word association game all right um so okay it's a really good question i think what got me interested in doing those on this day history posts is because i firstly i one of the subjects i loved in school even in the school I went to, was history. So I've always had this love of how the past has shaped the present um, and how by looking at history, you can also like almost predict uh, the future um, because in a strange way, history actually does go in cycles. Um, and another thing is I've always been inspired by movements for change um, throughout history um, and how, how improbable um, some movements for change have been, but yet they've still succeeded because people had the passion and the resilience uh, to keep going, even in the most difficult times. Um, times where you couldn't even connect to anything that's going on right now. Uh, things like the movement uh, against apartheid in South Africa or um, uh, the suffragette movement or even just getting the vote to working class people um, here in the UK uh, and the civil rights movement in the States as well. I I've just always been inspired by how those um, movements for change came about and the the kind of impact they had on, on our society. And so by sharing uh, these posts, I always try to connect them to the present day to serve as like a source of inspiration um, for the campaigns of today, um, for groups who are trying to get more rights for women or who are trying to get more young people involved in politics or um, um, for any movement today that's trying to achieve change, that's trying to um, bring people together and make this world and our country like a, a, better, a better place. Um, and so, yeah, these posts just remind me um, of how possible change is if, you know, if you have the passion and you have the resilience to keep at it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, that, that's why I love doing these posts and, um, and I want to keep them going. 
now I know, and and thanks for keeping them going because I absolutely love them. Um, so um, a, a quick word association game, and again, here this is just to get our listeners to get a little, to know a little bit more about your personality on an kind of instinctive or maybe subconscious level. So I'm just going to say a few words, and and you just 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 say the first thing that comes to your mind. So the first word is charity, helping people, politics. Making a change. Leadership. Empathy. Uh, being able to connect with others. Family. Oh. Biological. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> that's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I didn't really see, but, but like, you said the first thing that comes to mind. I like it. I like it. That's the point of this game, right? We have a few more words. History. Lessons. And the last one, it's not my favorite one, but sorry about this. Boris Johnson. Oh. I, I think that's enough, actually. That reaction. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Usama, for your time. And, you know, it was fantastic talking to you. And I'm sure listeners will love to hear your story. And I hope you'll come back on again in the near future and tell us more about the exciting stuff that you've been up to. Yeah, no, I'll be happy to be back. Um, thanks for your time as well. I think what you're getting going here is is really important. Um, and even if it can just inspire one person um, to think about their role within society and um, what they're capable of achieving, um, I think that'd be a good thing. Um, so yeah, keep this podcast going. It's an amazing initiative. Thanks, Osama. Alaikum. Waalaikumsalam. <laughs>